Welcome to BakaCast, episode 371. I'm your host, Dustin, and with me today is Larry. Hi. And Ben. Yo. And Aaron's listening in to us, but he's not recording because despite giving him three weeks, (laughs) he did not watch Batman Ninja. So we're just going to be going on without him, and hopefully (laughs) uh, he... Yeah. Yeah, so now Aaron's talking to me and he's saying that because he's not recording, you can't actually hear what he's saying. So when I respond, I look like I'm insane. No, Which I mean that's it, not really a change from usual. With with Dustin, Dustin has this beautiful crystal ball in front of him and when he picks it up and flips it over, it says replace battery. <sighs> Anyway, so, uh, yeah, let's, you can find show notes for this episode at projectcarhe.net or audioentropy.com. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about Batman Ninja. Uh, that movie was wild. (laughs) I never remembered Harley Quinn being as Harley Quinnish as she was in this movie. So Harley Quinn has gone under kind of like a a lot's happened to her since she debuted on the animated series. Um, she's definitely gotten a lot. Um, she's she's become a lot more exaggerated than she used to be. Um, both with her costume design becoming like a lot more just blatantly sexier. Um, which wasn't quite so much of an issue with this movie, thankfully, because I kind of hate her current costume design, Um, as well as just making her personality a lot more, just more of everything. Uh, So, yeah, she's definitely gotten a lot more um, Outrageous. Outrageous. Yeah, yeah, outrageous is a good word for it. Outrageous. Uh, So you're you're not wrong, and that's been... uh, Not necessarily a recent development, but... Uh, it, it does coincide with the new 52 that happened, God, I was in college, I think, at the time, like, final year of college, maybe, so around, like, the, uh, 2011-2012, I want to say. That Man, sounds it's been about a while. Reddish. That um, sounds about reddish, that's when I wandered out there and, oh, gee, you guys are college but, students, isn't that nice? But yeah, sort of, since, since the days of the, of new 52, Harley has sort of progressed along those lines of, of becoming a little more outrageous and sort of that's what you see now in most of her uh, big media portrayals uh, particularly in something like Suicide Squad um, but yeah uh, I I was pleasantly surprised by Batman Ninja um, like a bunch of my friends who also follow comics really enjoyed it so I was expecting to like it too but um I, I wasn't anticipating just how nuts it got, um, 
<laughs> nor was I expecting how well it worked by going kind of nuts. Because uh, uh, one of the cool things about Batman, as opposed to like um, a lot of other heroes, in the, is that Batman works in a lot of different contexts. Because like you've got on one end, you've got the Adam West Batman, who's just like full on hundred percent goofy. Um, and then, like, on the other end, you've got, uh, the Nolan, Christopher Nolan Dark Knight, uh, or, <laughs> I guess, sort of recent, like, uh, Justice League, Batman versus Superman Batman, who's just, like, super bleak. Um, and, like, Batman can fit, Batman has a bunch of stories that take place everywhere along that spectrum. And this is definitely on... It's not quite Adam West, but it's definitely on the goofier end. But because it's Batman, it still works because he can work in that well, context. Okay, well, yeah, well, uh, yeah. So, yeah, it did remind me of the Adam West Batman. Now that you you mention it, because the thing about the Adam West Batman is that Adam West himself as Batman was totally stoic and played it straight. The thing was, yeah. the rest of the show around him was absolutely insane. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's great because like Adam West always took things very seriously, but everything going around around on around him was just bonkers. <laughs> right, and that was this movie. <laughs> this movie was. <laughs> well, was... now wait a minute. We had Catwoman and we had Alfred, so there was I... some normality to the movie, and that's. I so enjoyed Catwoman and Alfred in this movie. <laughs> yeah. But especially, especially the ending of the movie. But let's let's kind of, I don't know how far you want to bounce around in this movie, or you just want to get to the real good parts. Yeah. So I will say before we get like really deep into before we get deep into it, um, if you have not watched this movie yet and you really want and you you know are interested in it and want to check it out, um, just skip this review uh, because. It's kind of good, better going into it not knowing exactly what happens. Yeah, uh, and you better stick that in the show notes because you know people they're going to push the play button and not they might read not read the notes either. But yeah, so I'll I'll see if I can edit in a timestamp for for uh, you know when we start our next review, um, or you can also check the show notes. But I highly recommend if you are at all interested in uh, viewing this movie, uh, I would recommend going into it not knowing that much about it um cold so yeah highly recommend seeing it if you don't care about spoilers or you don't plan on seeing it you know go on go ahead and continue on but yeah it's really good um yeah so let's 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 dive into it Um, yeah right so like the we'll just cover the basic premise of the movie real quick so we can you know talk talk about how well it executes on its idea uh, essentially um the basic plot of the movie is that gorilla grod uh creates a time travel machine uh with the uh intent of basically uh, sh- uh shunting a bunch of other villains into the past so that way he can rule gotham city unopposed um but it kind of backfires when Batman intervenes and everyone gets sucked into the feudal Japan. Um, and Bat- Batman later than the others because, like, there's some time dilation stuff going on. Uh, and so er- so he arrives, I believe, like, two years later after everyone else? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, and so like, they basically ha- they basically have to steal like these power cells back from the other villains to uh, recharge the time travel device and get everyone back home. Uh, <clears throat> and that's sort of the basic premise. And then a whole bunch of nutso stuff happens during that process. Nutso? <laughs> you are being so kind. I have uh, I have never seen an organized train wreck right. execute so well in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I gotta say, uh, yeah, I love how they, I love the Joker in this movie. The Joker's fantastic in this movie. He has, um, like, his lines are amazing. And his energy uh, is just, it, his energy I, I is amazing. Sh- I should note, I, I did watch this mostly um, with Japanese audio and English subtitles. Mm-hmm. I did switch over to English dub briefly, but I it wasn't really crazy about their uh, about the voice actors they got for Batman and Joker, so I ended up switching back to um, oh. the Japanese track. I'm I not watch, sure here's what I you watch, guys listen to it. On. I watched the I watched the dub. Well, okay, here's, here's the thing: there is a part, and I forgot where it was in the English, where Harley Quinn speaks, but no words come out. But if you swap over to Japanese, she speaks. Huh, that's interesting. So they didn't like sync the lip flaps yeah, for that scene. Well, they just did. They just didn't translate the scene. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Just interesting. Just, just saying. Uh, uh, I I didn't even notice that bit because the yeah. thing the thing about this movie is it goes fast. Yeah, yep. and like the first half of it starts out fairly straightforward. Like, sure, it's still like a time travel plot, so it's still kind of wild, but it. Other than that, it starts out fairly straightforward with, like, uh, Batman not really know what's going on. Like, he meets up with Catwoman, uh, and Catwoman and Alfred sort of, like, fill him in on what's happened. And, like, we find out that, uh, you know, all the villains have taken over their own section of Japan, and Batman needs to fight them to get, like, the time travel stuff back. Um... And so that part, like, it ends up being fairly straightforward, and, you know... Uh, he sort of like teams up with uh, this. Uh, what's kind of cool about this first half is that Batman like loses basically all of his stuff like within the first half of the movie. Like he starts out with a Batmobile and most of his ga- most of his gadgets, but by the end, like uh, the Joker essentially strips him of all that. Uh, because Joker has had time to prepare um, and has and stole like a robot castle from Grodd. Mm-hmm. And like he and, and his robe and his giant robot castle actually ends up like just smashing the Batmobile <laughs> and nearly killing Batman. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so by like the end of that first half, Batman has lost like basically all his stuff. And has now joined like the like the Bat Clan of Ninjas. Yeah, the ninja that clan. reveres the Bat God. Yes. Uh, and Damian, Damian Wayne, and Tim Drake, and uh, uh, Jason Todd, and uh, Dick Grayson are all here. All the all the Robins are here. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah. There's the Robin. There's the Red Robin. There's the Red Hood. And then there's Nightwing. Yeah. Um, 
And really, the the only issue I have with the Robins um, and, and the former Robins is that Damien is acting fairly out of character. Um, Damien, for those who aren't familiar with comics, uh, Damien Wayne is the biological son of Bruce Wayne um, and Talia Al Ghul, who is the daughter of Raj uh, Raish Al Ghul. Um, the leader of the League of Assassins. Uh, and Damien is kind of an asshole. <laughs> like, he's still he's still a Robin, and he's still technically a good guy. Um, but he, is, he, he does not have the same uh, ethos against killing that Batman and the other Robins do. Uh, which one um, is Damien? Uh, da- Damien is Robin, the one in, like, the classic Robin design. Um. Uh, he's the one with the katana. Uh, uh, and so, and so, like, what I appreciate about this movie is that, like, we do see Damien just straight up slashing people with a sword. So, like, they got that part right, where he just doesn't give a crap about not killing people. <laughs> uh, but also, he's way too happy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, Damien, like, Bruce Wayne is stoic, but... Damien is even more serious and more of kind of a jerkwad than even Bruce Wayne is. And kind of the only person he gets along well with is Dick Grayson. Um, and we don't really see that. Uh, like, he's he's acting a lot more like Tim Drake than he is Damien Wayne. Um, which is really the only... One of the only issues I have with the movie is that they don't get Damien's characterization right. Uh, well, see, I never read the, I never read that at, I never read the, that section, you know, I never read the comics that much, so I am not up on, like, which Robin is which. <laughs> yeah. It, so I just, it's really, so I just roll with it. Yeah, like, it's really only something that people like me who know of Damian Wayne already, like, will pick up on, um... But, like, they get so much else about the characters right that I was just kind of surprised that they, you know, flubbed on Damien's characterization. And it's not a, it's not that big of a deal because most of the Robins don't get that much screen time anyway. So, uh, but, yeah, it was just very noticeable to me. <laughs> so, uh, do when in Rome, do as the Romans do when in feudal Japan uh, have a feud and start using weapons improvised from the period that you are within, which there were some interesting creations in the movie. Uh, yeah, so Batman, you know, learns to be a ninja again, learns to do without, uh, and there's, like, one of the sort of big, like, flashy... Uh, fight sequences near the middle where there's a big sea change is that uh, um, the uh, Gorilla Grodd and the Bat Clan um, uh, ambush Joker's uh, uh, ambush Joker's flagship Um, but then everything goes haywire Uh, Joker and yeah I think Joker basically like uh, suicides like blows the blows his own ship up in order to try and kill Batman. Uh, and we have this like this really, mo- like most of the sh- most of the movie has been in CGI, mm-hmm. um, and he, 
But just for this sequence, like after we see Joker possibly die, uh, we get this 2D animation uh, that is like very stylistic. I'm trying to figure out a way to describe it, but like, uh, yeah, the 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 art the art style has a definite shift. Yeah, I want to say like it, the people look. I want to say mushy, but that feels too negative. That feels too negative of a connotation. It's kind of um, it's kind of a it's kind of a hand drawn retro look. Yeah, yeah. It's it's got where, a more like, like where where you know they're not afraid to go off model for a whole lot for for a whole lot of different a whole lot of cuts. Um, yeah, and it's very intentional because like the whole point is that. Um, we find out later that Joker is faking, like, intentionally did this to himself, um, but, like, he, Joker and Harley essentially lost their memories, so they don't know who they are, uh, and they're just living as farmers together, like, trying to grow crops, and, like, Batman investigates just to see, like, if they're just putting this on, or if they really have forgotten their memories, just trying to decide what to do with them. And Jason Todd, uh, the Red Hood, you know, as is his want, he wants to just straight up murder them and not take any chances. Uh, and Batman goes, like, no, like, they have lost their memories, like, there's, there's no reason to kill them now, like, just let them, let them live. Um... And, it, and it's a really interesting sequence, and uh, I, I love how they had that art style change so drastically to better fit the the mood of the scene that they were doing. Um, and everything yeah. was fine until the plant bloomed. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was kind of a, it was a weird. It was it wasn't just a style shift, but it was also a tone shift. Yeah, um, it, it's it's very weird, but I think it works extremely well. At least it it, it worked well for me. <laughs> yeah, I I I was on board for it. Uh, you know, and then <laughs> you know, but then after that after that brief sequence, you know, it's uh, full steam ahead for the third act, which just gets in, <laughs> which then things get really crazy. Yeah, and it's so, and it's and it's amazing. Yeah, so like the the second half, sort of after that sequence with the Joker, um, we like it, like Batman has to fight the other villains to get the to stop Gorilla Grodd, uh, and like get the time machine pieces back so he can send everyone to the present Gotham, yeah. uh, and it just turns into a giant robot fight. Because all the castles cross. that the villains own can turn into giant robots. Oh yeah, and but, then they go, and then they go all Voltron. Yeah, because <laughs> then it turns out that actually, like the robots are equipped with mind control devices that Gorilla Grodd can activate from his like central robot castle. So he mind controls the villains to form Voltron. But then it turns out that the Joker intentionally wiped, uh, gave himself and Harley amnesia that would only come back once a certain plant bloomed 
uh, that he made from like Ivy's own poison Ivy's own plants. Uh, and he did this so he could effectively trick Batman into letting him into letting him be. And he uses then uses poison Ivy's flower that he grew to knock out Gorilla Grodd and take control of the castle Voltron himself. Uh, which and so then <laughs> which uses which uses a shogi board interface, which yeah, is kind of neat. <laughs> it's real good. So anyway. And so then Batman has to fight the giant robot by forming his own giant robot made out of monkeys. And bats. Yep. Monkeys and bats. Yeah, bats. Yeah, because the, the monkeys aren't doing so well, but then, like, a bunch of bats come to his aids and wrap themselves around the giant monkey. <laughs> to, form, to form a giant, just straight up looks like, like, old-style Batman. <laughs> But made out of made entirely out of bats, and the and the Batman made the giant Batman made out of bats and monkeys punches a hole in the Voltron robot that Batman and his friends can use to infiltrate the giant robot and attack the villains from inside, and it's just so wild. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, like, we're not really doing a whole lot of analysis here. Like, I know we're kind of just summarizing the plot because, like, it's thing is, it's not a very deep movie. No, um, it's, it's really all about the spectacle. Yeah, yeah. There's not much critical analysis. It is mostly just like a movie where Batman goes back in time and becomes a ninja and then fights other villains with giant robots like it's it's mostly just meant to be a movie where you go holy crap did that really just happen and it works exceedingly well at doing that (laughs) like especially since they they get a lot so much right about the characterization of the heroes and also like have genuinely like really cool fight scenes good animation, and also just really good humor, too. Yep. Uh, but yeah, do, do y'all wanna, do y'all have anything specific you wanna say about sort of the last half of the movie? Okay. Yeah, I like the very end. <laughs> well, okay, well, the, the, that... now, you, you, you want, I get the very end, you guys can do everything up to it. And okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll let I'll let Larry cover the end once we get to it. So, all right. The thing that tripped me up, the thing that tripped me up is, of course, the time travel stuff. Because, you know, I have, you know, I have like, you know, when it comes to when it comes to what they do with history, it's kind of, uh, <laughs> it's a little wonky because. Alright, yeah. Yeah, okay, right, okay, Gorilla Grodd builds a time machine, sends a whole bunch of villains with all that stuff back in history. Now, think about that. Now, the thing about that, though, is that the Sengoku period was, uh, like, how it played out was contingent on a whole bunch of things happening. So, and, and so, what, like, the appearance of all these villains plus bat villains and heroes battling it out in, you know, battling it out 
in the countryside or whatever, and you know, in the cities and all that stuff. Okay, that is going to be a major disruption to the timeline because just sending just sending all the characters back to their original back to the original time is not going to cancel out the major disruption that just happened. We're like because for two years you basically had like major sections of the country being run by Batman villains. <laughs> And yeah, like, it, it, it definitely runs on sort of the Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure rules where t- don't think too much about the time travel. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's just there so they can fool around in feudal Japan and become ninjas and have giant, like, Japanese-style castles to fight in. Yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, the thing about that, the thing about... Yeah, of course, the thing about you know, okay, that model of time travel is that, okay, the mere fact of time traveling basically creates, you know, it effectively creates a new timeline. So, there's basically this alternate timeline where Batman Villain showed up and ran amok for two years and then went away. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, you gotta wonder, like, what, you gotta wonder what the post-Sengoku period of that timeline could be like. <laughs> yeah, though honestly, like you, you could, you could make the argument that since this exists in the same universe that you know the Batman itself does, like Gotham City goes through a bunch of wild crap constantly, and it always seems to go back to a certain status quo. So like maybe just everywhere, everywhere in this world is like that, where like sort of regardless of what happens, the place is like, oh whatever, I guess we'll just continue on doing what we were doing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things that my critical mind just could not let go, even <laughs> it, even though I enjoyed, like, I enjoyed the movie overall, it was just, just one little thing that stuck in my craw. Yeah, just, just don't think about the time travel. <laughs> don't think about the consequ- consequences. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, that I agree with Larry. I I really, really loved sort of the final scene before the credits. Uh, Larry, do you want to describe what happens in this scene? Well, we get back to the present, and the yeah, scene Batman is, wins, yeah, of course. Batman wins, <laughs> and Catwoman has this beautiful that the guy's going this is priceless and he hands her a ton of gold and she's like thanks slips on her helmet gets on her motorcycle and goes roaring down the street the next thing we see is a bamboo batmobile rounding the corner with the lanterns on the back one lantern making the bat symbol heading to meet commissioner gordon as alfred's changing batman into bruce wayne it's it's not just a bamboo Batmobile. It is a horse-drawn Yo, I forgot Batmobile. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, because the Batmobile got destroyed. So yeah. Alfred's like, well, look, you know, here's here's uh, you know, since the Bat- Batmobile got destroyed, I made a new one in the style of ancient Japan. Here's mm-hmm. a horse-drawn Batmobile for you. Yeah, I forgot because, the horse-drawn part because uh, my brain because you know. Boring. Alfred may be a butler, but also he has a sense of humor, and a, and he knows that 
You know, you can't let Bruce Wayne's head get too big for his shoulders. So occasionally you gotta humble him. Also, Alfred's kind of a weeb. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I, 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 I love when they make Alfred, like, kind of a... a a dork similar to because Bruce Wayne is also a dork. Like you, you can't be a person who draps who who dresses up as a bat and has batarangs and a batmobile and a bat plane and not be kind of a dork. So I appreciate when they give Alfred that similar characterization too, because like it makes sense that the butler that is stuck with Bruce Wayne for this long, you know, would share some things in common with him. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, are we going to assign some numbers to this five epic? Oh, yeah, uh, I I enjoyed this a whole lot. I will absolutely give it a five. Uh, after seeing it, I immediately bought a copy of the Blu-ray. <laughs> I give it a four. I I enjoyed it. Just got a few nitpicks. Ugh. How about you, Larry? Uh, five did already. Oh, okay. Sorry, I did not. Yeah, did it was. Not it was all looped into the that. sentence. It was a, when you play it back, you're gonna go, "Oh, he looped that." Uh, okay, I'm he gonna play it back, and I'm gonna be like, "Oh, I was super not paying attention." <laughs> uh, what are we doing? Uh, but are, yeah, what are we doing next? Bebop or uh, Swords or Us? Uh, let's see here. Uh, Aaron, do you want to do Bebop next? Because I think Aaron's seen Bebop. I don't oh, think he's oh, seen yeah. Katana Gotri. Uh, he's he's back. He's just not talking. Oh, okay. Well, if you, well think, you think of something, you know, just flip up a cricket and we'll... Uh... Also, I realize Aaron's probably not recording. <laughs> okay, so I'm not sure. Well, he wanted All right, it's fine. There'll be just be silence. I let him know when we started the next review. <laughs> Okay, I thought he I thought he wanted us to do that so he could like join in or something. But uh, uh, anyway, yeah, let's uh, let's if, talk. Up if he yells loud enough, my microphone will pick it up from the headset, and he'll be kind of an echo in my background. Let, let's talk about bebop so that way we we've got like lighthearted show, more <laughs> serious show, lighthearted show. <laughs> got a nice got a nice uh, sandwich going show. on. No, it'll be insane show, not so insane show, and. Oh my, in search of the yeah, magic so, sword. Yeah, so let's talk about Cowboy Bebop, episodes 1 through 8. Um, as we famously already mentioned multiple times on previous episodes of BakaCast, I have never actually seen all of Cowboy Bebop, or even like the majority of it. I have seen bits and pieces of it occasionally. I've seen like a couple of the full episodes like near the beginning, but I've never actually watched you know, a whole lot of it. So this is kind of my first time watching it as not only like completely, but as like continuous chunk instead of just like random episodes here and there. Uh, but I picked up a lot of Cowboy Bebop just through cultural osmosis because it's kind of hard to avoid. Really? Um, at, least you're, at least if you're any kind of anime fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if you're plugged into anime culture, like it's basically impossible to avoid like I mean, seeing stuff about Cowboy Bebop, I mean, uh, such that like uh, to the point where like uh, one of the one of the anime music videos, uh, like one of my favorite ones, actually has a scene from I believe it's 
uh, oh god, is episode three or episode five? Which is the one where we we see um, what's his name, Vicious, for the first time? That's episode five. Yeah, it's episode, okay, episode five. So like the the scene where Spike gets uh, shoved out the stained glass window of the church. I had seen that in an anime music video, and I, and given the discussions that have occurred around the Cowboy Bebop, I believe it's movie, was mm-hmm. sort of the final thing that came out for it? Yeah. I was convinced that that was one of the scenes in the movie. Nope. <laughs> and no, it's just in the fifth episode, and he survives that fall. Yep. Uh... So, like, there were a lot of things I thought I knew about Cowboy Bebop that I did not, was not actually correct about. Nope. Uh, so it was really interesting seeing these scenes in, like, their actual context. Yeah, the, the thing is, okay, so the movie, the movie is basically a standalone, a standalone story. It's a side story. Yeah, uh, which takes place roughly between episodes 20 and 21. Um, okay. So, yeah. So I I had thought this this sort of scene had happened at like the end, but no, it's just at the end of episode five, um, which kind of serves as a good segue into like the other thing I was surprised by is that like Cowboy Bebop's tone and structure is just all over the goddamn place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like. you, you... Like, episodes one and two are pretty, like, lighthearted, especially episode two, where the entire episode has has the gang, like, uh, ca- trying to capture a dog. Ein, that's where you get Ein. Yeah, that's where Ein comes in, and that's actually one episode that I have seen all the way through well, before. Well, well, it's, um, well, they're trying to capture, well, actually, they're trying to capture the dog Napper, but the problem yeah. is, is they, they only end up with the dog. Yeah, the thing about Cowboy Bebop I'm noticing is that uh, I- I'm sure that they complete actual contracts that we don't see, like, between episodes, because how else could they survive? But the actual episodes make them look not particularly competent at their jobs. <laughs> well... Because they almost never actually complete a bounty on the actual show. Yeah, it's not till the start of episode 8 that they actually... They actually complete a bounty on screen. Yeah, it's uh, it's real wild. Um, yeah, it's yeah, because what's interesting is like episode two. You know, it's it's pretty goofy. You know, they're chasing a kidnapper who himself is like is chasing a data dog, Ein, um, and that whole and that that whole like chase sequence is, is that whole episode is pretty goofy and then you get episode five which is extremely serious basically the whole time through uh and is largely focused on uh uh god it's um, spike's backstory uh, and his relationship with vicious back uh, when they used to work for them for the mob they were the mob well yeah the chinese mob yeah the the chinese mob 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 But but wait a minute, though you 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 miss you miss a I mean five is excellent, but when Faye falls into their hands, oh God, Faye! (laughs) Oh boy! Now Faye is a real piece of work. (laughs) Faye, Faye, according to 
all the information I've ever read, is supposedly 23 years old. I do not believe that for a second. She looks like she is definitely older than that. Well, she supposedly... Actually, she is older than that. She's way older than that. Uh, She's just lying about her age, right? Well, you'll find out later, but... Yeah. Supposedly, at this time, she's 23 years old. Because I hit the wiki and did some reading before I opened my mouth this time. Okay, I was going to say, is like that voice of God, or is that just Faze that says she's 23? No, that's wiki. Okay, it's good to know that that's not actually accurate, though, because I was going to say, that'd be another case of, like, the character design not at all matching the actual age. Because yeah, uh, she's yeah. definitely not twenty three. Oh, and one thing: um, if you go to uh, if you go to uh, ANN and try to use any of the links, most of them are disconnected. So you have to go do it the hard way and do Google. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I yeah. Uh, also, something I noticed: uh, maybe I just missed it on Crunchyroll, but Crunchyroll only seems to have the uh, sub, which. Mm-hmm. F that noise. Uh, I actually su- I actually uh, subscribed to Funimation streaming service specifically so I could watch the dub of Cowboy Bebop. Because if you're watching Cowboy Bebop, you've got to watch the dub version. Uh, well, yeah. Obviously, I- I'm being yeah. sort of like melodramatic about it, but the dub is extremely good and it fits extremely well with you know with what Cowboy Bebop is. Um, but yeah, like, Faye, Faye's episode, Faye's a real piece of shit. <laughs> like, uh, like, like, Faye, I think a lot of Faye's larger cultural impact is hot girl with big boobs, but, like, she is not attractive, at least not to me, she's not attractive in the slightest outside of her physical appearance, because she's just a complete asshole. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, and, the, you, and that's the thing is that the uh, is that like the other characters also find her once they get to know her, they find her incredibly annoying, and they keep trying yeah. to pick her off the ship. Yeah, and like uh, you absolutely sympathize with Spike and uh, Jet because uh, f- like Faye occasionally contributes to the team, but mostly she's just a parasite who annoys them. And occasionally nearly kills them. Uh, so yeah, like you, you definitely sympathize with Spike and Jet just wanting her to leave. Especially during episode four, where like initially like she runs off with their hard-earned cash, and then episode four, like they rescue her and they're like, What the hell did you do with all the cash? And she's like, Oh, I gambled it, and they're like, Are you kidding me? <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> like we just met you. How'd you spend it all that quickly? Well, then yeah, well, then episode, she, then, she in episode the then in episode eight, then in episode eight, you know, okay, they split their, you know, they split their, they split their bounty, their their first successful bounty on screen. They split it with her, and then she just heads off to the casino with her money. Oh God, it, it's it's kind of ironic that episode eight is the one where they finally succeed, but it's also like one of the saddest episodes so far. 
Um, cause like, good lord, uh, episode twenty four is where like the whole episode is about you know this guy trying to uh, you know uh, get this flower for you know his, his girlfriend uh, who's blind uh, and like. A- what he, what he's trying to do is he's his, trying to sell the flower for cash yeah. so for his sister who oh sister not girlfriend yeah, so he can so he can get the uh, eyes fixed yeah yeah so she can you know get her surgery and like they succeed but <laughs> he ends up dying in the process so like even if she gets her eyes fixed like she doesn't get to see her brother ever again yeah um and it's just very bleak uh as for the definition of a of a pyrrhic victory um yeah it was and and that and that comes came like directly after heavy metal queen which is one of my favorites so far heavy metal queen is a very good episode with a very good side character (laughs) yeah i i i love those I love the space trucker lady in episode seven. She is fantastic. <laughs> yes, she's, she's great. <clears throat> yeah, like this Cowboy Bebop so far. Like I'm, I'm actually not entirely entirely sure how to feel about it because um, it hasn't actually hooked me quite yet, Come and I think part April. of that. And I think part of that is just due to the structure of it. Like, yeah, um, each each episode, each episode sort of has its own tone to it, uh, which is and, and the thing is that tone is set by like the, by the musical style, uh, well, which yeah, because uh, yeah, yeah, this is like you know. I mean, the music of obviously it's Yoko Kano at the top of her game. Yoko Kano, K A N N O Kano. Yeah, that's what he said. Uh, no, you Kano. Oh. It's Kano. Yeah, yeah, you did say Kano. <laughs> uh, Fair enough. Anyway. Fair well, enough. Hey, 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 you know, and you know, you know, the easiest way to I've always wanted to view Bebop is just with the with the music track and, and ditch the voices. I've still not figured out a way to pull the voices off and just listen with the music. Because I think it would be just as good with the music as it is with the voices. It would be interesting to experience it as like a sort of silent film version of itself. Um, I wonder how that would end up working. I wonder if you. I wonder how it would work if you also uh, monochromed it, like you know, classic silent silent films were. Um, but yeah, like the the music is definitely one of the strongest if not the strongest part of the show and in my opinion is like one of the uh like one of the unimpeachable aspects of the show um like i have zero complaints about the music uh like the the thing the things where i have issues with cowboy bebop are sort of twofold and and they kind of and both of my issues like they kind of feed into each other um so the first thing is that like the the structure of the show is again like jazz very free form like with the exception of episodes where characters are introduced so example episode two and episode three where we meet ein and uh, Faye for the first time all the other episodes don't could fit basically anywhere uh 
in in this in the timeline. Like they're so standalone that you know, like if certain characters appear, like like Faye or Ein, who are recurring, we know that they come after you know the episodes where they're introduced. But other than that, they could just go anywhere. You could slot them in at any point in time. Well, episode um, four guys, kind of follows on episode three because episode yeah. four is when episode four is when. Faye, Faye gets, comes back. Gets, True. Gets, inter- gets uh, integrated into the team. Like I mean, like I'm like I'm watching this thing for the second time because I I saw like the first I I saw it the first time around on Cartoon Network. Uh, and I think that's probably where a lot of people saw it yeah. for the first time. Yeah, it was like you know because you know because I was you know for several years I watched Adult Swim constantly and. It was yeah. there, and, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, Cow- Cowboy Bebop, Gundam Wing, and Dragon Ball are sort of the shows that, well, and Sailor Moon, like those were the four that really put Toonami on the map uh, for a lot of people. Well, I was watching it after that. The, the shows that I, the shows that I was like, I was, I, I was watching it uh, were like, uh, it was when they were running Bleach and Blood Plus. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, that was when I was watching Adult Swim. Uh, uh, oh yeah, that's right. Those kinds of shows were on the Adult Swim block, not the Toonami block. Yeah, so they actually aired later. At yeah, night. yeah. Toonami. Yeah, the time at the time I was watching Toonami. Toonami, which was uh, earlier in the evening, had Naruto. Uh, yeah, they they generally had the more like uh, younger audience friendly shows, whereas like the the more adult anime was saved yeah. for the Adult Swim block. Yeah. Um, stuff like FLCL famously got put on the Adult Swim block, I believe. Yeah. I was watching that. Um, and, uh, yeah, and Full Metal, uh, OG Full Metal Alchemist. That was, uh, that was one of the things that hooked me in. Uh, but yeah, but okay, so it's like, okay, so that's my history with that. And like, so the first time around that I watched it, I liked it, but I didn't love it. And, I've, you know, actually, like, on a rewatch, I've actually come to appreciate it more. Uh, just for the sheer, just for the, uh, quality of its craftsmanship. Because, like, okay, although, like, from episode to episode, the tone goes all over the place. But, like, within each episode, the stories are constructed masterfully. And everything is just crafted spot on. Like, and, you know, I'm the kind of person, I appreciate that kind of quality, quality of execution. You know, and I've also come for, you know, and yeah, I know, like, Faye is just awful. Uh, as a, you know, as a person, <laughs> she's just awful. But yeah, I've uh, you know, like at first, like my first go around, you know, Spike didn't really grab me as a character. But now, uh, on on like on this rewatch, I've actually come to like Spike more, just for the way he, you know, just for the way like like the way he keeps the way he is keeps his cool. You know, and at least most of the time, you know, in the times when he doesn't, it's perfectly appropriate. 
but like the way he keeps this cool, the way he keeps this cool and doesn't let things rattle him at the right times. Yeah, like I, I do like Spike and Jet, though I think Jet is my favorite because he's often the voice of reason in the group. Yeah. Um, one of the things that helped sort of reorient my expectations for what uh, Cowboy Bebop is and what's, what it's going for is sort of when I post about my impressions on Twitter and, like, a couple of my friends, um, Quantronic Dream Girl and Izzy Silvermountain, who, like, you should definitely follow because uh, they're great. Um, uh, Quantronic Dream-, Dream Girl mentioned the show's structure is... Uh, wait, hold on. Here it is. Uh, Cowboy Bebop is an anime about characters that are half a decade or more past the usual dramatic arc that a show would focus on. And they're just so tired. Uh, to which Izzy replied, Yeah, sort of. A lot of, are you going to take life seriously and deal with your problems or nah? Also, Zen Buddhism. Um, and that's a good point. Like, uh, one of the things that was, was sort of weird to me is that it didn't feel like, uh, in a traditional show, like, even if it was more of an episodic, episodic structure as opposed to serialized, which Bebop is so far kind of half and half, you know, the the characters go through dramatic arcs where, like, they, you know, learn things and experience conflicts, uh, both internal and external, and, you know, they make choices that they grow from. But that doesn't really happen in Bebop. Like, there are conflicts, but it's tough to say that Faye, Jet, and Spike really learn from them. They've kind of already gone past that part of their story. They're now kind of, for the most part, set in their ways and so far at least a lot of the episodes where we see them um is uh you know especially like the more serious ones is about sort of how the how spike and jet and Faye affect everybody else around them like they're sort of acting as they're almost acting as the external conflicts for other people who are in the middle of their stories. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a weird, it's not a perspective, it's not a, like a story structure I'm used to seeing. So you kind of got to like reorient your brain to, uh, uh, sort of, to sort of like understand what Cowboy Bebop is going for. Um, I can't entirely say I, like, am 100% like all about what they're trying to achieve, but I at least understand what they're doing now. Because uh, at first I was like, this feels meandering and kind of pointless um, until I sort of like got that prompting to think about it in a different way. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I get that, and I'm like I said, I, I've come to appreciate, I've come to appreciate what it's going for more on a, on this rewatch. Yeah, and, and, and Izzy, oh, go ahead, Sorry. So I think I'm gonna, you know, you know, because, like, originally, when I, when I first watched it, you know, I sort of estimated its quality as to be about a four, but I'm actually gonna raise it a grade. I'm gonna give the, I'm gonna give these episodes a five, because I am really digging, I am really digging it. Wasn't expecting to, uh, but I really and uh, yeah. Also, the I'm gonna s- also the science fictional the science fictional world building is very well done. 
Yeah, I do love the Cowboy Bebop world and the art design and, like, all the background stuff. Like, it's... Like, it is super obvious why the aesthetics of Cowboy Bebop have stuck around for so long. Because they are extremely good. Like, from the ship design to, um, the to like the character design to the uh you know mechanics behind like how space travel functions like the cool thing in uh god which episode was it with the eco terrorists yeah, that was um, episode four gateway shuffle i believe yeah. yeah um where we learned that like if you get trapped while in like their version of hyperspace you basically stay there forever and can never go back to the sort of material plane uh that's both cool and also ex- makes space travel extremely terrifying because <laughs> god help you if one of those gateways gets destroyed or in some other way messed up uh well yeah actually that's the thing is that uh like that was one of the things that was in the backstory of this universe was there was actually an apocalyptic catastrophe involving the gateways yeah, that was in uh, episode six, Sympathy for the Devil, right? Where we got introduced to that kid who never age- ages, and that happened yeah. because, like, he got pelted by the debris from a gateway that exploded onto his planet. Yep. Yeah, so, like, there's there's some, like, supernatural stuff that happens, but it's all related to, like, this really wild FTL technology that... Is both sci-fi and also fantasy, and sort of how it's how it functions, and it's really the only thing that's supernatural about the world, which makes it that much more interesting. Because, like, yeah, of course that would be the, of course FTL stuff would be the only thing that just breaks all known laws of physics. <laughs> um, but yeah, I. Uh, like it, really, my all the like I love. 99% of this show, but it just doesn't grab me like I was hoping it would. Like, I'm still not totally sold on the actual story. Um, and one of the things, like, again, my friends noted, uh, let me see if I can go back to those tweets. I just lost them. God dang it. <laughs> um, but, like, they, uh, I believe it's Izzy that noted that um, it, it's sort of hard to really get a grasp on what Cowboy Bebop is going for and what it's trying to say if uh, until you've seen the entire series and can sort of look at, at it as like a whole thing. Um, and then Quantrana Dream Girl noted that like as much as they love the show, they like when they rewatch it, they don't really watch the whole series. They watch specific episodes. Um, so, like, there are specific episodes that really grab them, and those are the ones they re-watch as opposed to the whole series. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel like I should withhold a score just because, you know, I think it's fine for you and Larry to score it if you want to, because you've already seen the series, so you kind of already have an idea of, you know, what the series as a whole is. But for me, I feel it would be better to withhold my score until I have seen the whole thing, just because that's, I feel like that's going to really affect 
how I analyze this show is once I have a better idea of what the show is as a, as an entire thing. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, it's definitely intriguing and it's definitely different. Um, man, there's a lot of stuff I like about it. Uh, I, it's just that when I went into Cowboy Bebop, I thought what was going to happen was, uh, I'd get to episode eight and I'd be like, oh God, I really want to get back to watching this show. I can't wait to get back to watching this show. And really what happened was I got to episode eight and I was like, okay, cool. I'm done for this week. (laughs) Um, it just didn't grab me like I thought I thought it would. Yeah. Uh, at least not yet. We'll, we'll see what happens when we watch the, the next set of episodes. That was my impression on my first watch. Yeah, so, yeah, maybe I'll be like you, where, like, it, it'll it'll take me a watch or two before, like, I really start to have the same appreciation for it as, as a lot of other people seem to. Um, but, yeah, so, I think that'll be it for this review of Cowboy Bebop. Uh, all right, uh, so, now that we've got uh, Cowboy Bebop out of the way... Uh, let's go on to our final review here, which is uh, the first four episodes of Katana Gotchery, Uh Which, yeah, this was also made by uh, Nisio Isin, correct? Yep. Uh, yeah the uh, the anime the the anime adaptation was done by White Fox. Yeah, you can uh, you can definitely tell that this is a series written by Nisio Isin. That's for dang sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's also like it's a very different. Well, in in some ways, it's a very different tone from Bake Monogatari. It's still got kind of like a. I don't want to say irreverence to it, but there is a tongue-in-cheek aspect to some of the humor, like a genre savvy, and also just like. Nisio poking fun at his own tendencies <laughs> through some of the characters, um, but yeah, it, it's it's a, a it's a show that's less focused on uh, debate, um, and there is more action to it. But because it's a Nisio story, it's it's definitely still got a lot of talking. <laughs> um, so I guess I'll just like cover the basic premise of the show real quick here. Um, the basic story of Katana Gotri is that uh, this uh, strategist um, named oh god, Togame. what is her name? Toga uh, is uh, basically recruits uh, this guy called Yasuri, uh, named Yasuri Sh- uh, Shichika, I yep, believe. Shich- Shichika. Shichika, uh, who is a swordsman who does not use swords, um, in order to collect 12 legendary katana for the shogunate that she serves. Um, and these katana are like, have like mystical properties, essentially. So it, they basically have to like go, go around, uh, go around the, go around Japan and defeat these. Uh, people who hold the katanas so they can get them back. Yeah, reclaiming uh, the swords without destroying them. Right, and well, and 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 while they're at it, they also have to contend with a uh, a clan of ninjas 
who are also after the swords. Yeah, a clan of ninjas that used to work for Togame, but then betrayed her. Kind of um, stabbed her in the back yeah, who, without stabbing her. Sorry. Yeah, who want to claim the katanas for themselves. Uh, yeah, it's it's a fairly simple premise, but they do a lot with it, uh, largely because the characters are very strong, as you might expect from a uh, uh, Nisio work. Uh Though, like, it's interesting how different the characters are from, like, sort of the the ones he's made for Pokemon Ogatari. Because Togame is, like, she's she's a strategist, but she's kind of adult. (laughs) Like, she is is very ditzy, but also extremely self-assured she doesn't realize that she's kind of an idiot well she she has more common sense than uh yasuri has which isn't saying much but she when it comes down to common sense she has more common sense than he does yeah what's interesting is that like what prevents it from what prevents it from like feeling a little sexist is that both togame and yasuri are dumb in their own ways like togame has a tendency to overthink things or think she knows more than she actually does but yasuri doesn't but she at least like knows how to participate in society yasuri like grew up on an island yeah yasuri has like a better sense of you know his surroundings he's got street smarts but like he he has no idea (laughs) Like how to actually interact with people. Well, he's it was his father, his himself, and his sister. His sister we've got to watch out for because uh, she has some interesting uh, quirks. Quirk. Oh gosh, not Nanami is something else. We'll get to her later. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying. Uh, but see, you know, growing up on an island, uh, and the only interaction you have is your father, your sister, and yourself. I mean where Togame has been out in society so she's she's had these social interactions and uh, has sealed her heart because of previous things that we saw a little bit of yeah it's it's this is an interesting these are two people who he's kind of dumb in the ways of the world and she's probably too wise but she's sealed her wisdom within her Yeah, the what I like about like the first two episodes I felt were really strong, um, just because of like how they introduced these characters and the premise. Um, like, even though Togame and, and Yasuri both have significant flaws, they're also both immediately likable. Um, and the scene in episode early on in episode two where. Uh, Togeme starts talking about like how she's trying to like write about their adventures to like put into a novel and she's like berating Yasuri for being way too boring <laughs> like a, like a generic anime protagonist and she's like look we and she's like look we need to we need to find you a gimmick because like I'm writing this story and the villain is more interesting than you <laughs> 
and, and, and he and well he's like well what do you want and it's like he's like well maybe my gimmick is that i just don't care she's like no that can't be your gimmick <laughs> they also they also have a big thing about uh about uh yeah, where she's like, she insists that he has to come up with a cool catchphrase. Oh yeah, she's like, choose your catchphrase. She's like, I already chosen my catchphrase of Cheerio, <laughs> which, uh, and which, 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 which actually makes me bring up like another thing I love about this show is that there is a uh, omniscient narrator who occasionally shows up, mm-hmm. uh, and like this narrator voice talks about often talks about things that happen in the future. Uh, Often to make jokes at the main character's expense, and it's very good. <laughs> yes, yeah. The the Cheerio is a uh, is the ta ta bye bye, but she thinks it means something else. And when she finally finds out that it means ta ta bye bye, we'll have to see what her reaction is. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> didn't I do that? Without a spoiler. I thought I did. That. Yeah. I I also just like really like there's uh, sort of relating to Toga Maze. Uh, like obsession with writing things down is in the story like there's this really great um scene in episode one where uh yasuri is facing off against one of the ninjas who has the uh, uh zetokana uh blade which its gimmick is that it is the hardest blade and can never is unbreakable basically uh and like yasuri's ya- like yasuri and uh, Togame are talking about like techniques, uh, and she's like, "Look, you can't use a technique that breaks the blade. We gotta, we gotta bring this in, thing intact." Then she says, "Like, if you are capable of kick-ass moves that may intrigue readers, go ahead and use them." <laughs> like, <laughs> Togame is just straight up like, like being a manga ka within this world. <laughs> it's like, hey, if you have like cool shonen moves. <laughs> please use them so we can make a good story out of this. Like, it's... I, I love how Katana Gottery, Gottery breaks the fourth wall, but doesn't really break the fourth wall, because they have, yeah. like, this framing device of her in-universe making a story out of it. Or, well, it, which, what it is is that she's writing, uh, she's writing reports to the Shogun. Uh, yeah. But, you know... But, but she's uh, writing but, them. But she's writing them as if she was creating a narrative rather than simply like giving reports. Right. So, uh, I mean, also, I have to give props to the uh, uh, to the translation team, um, who like whoever translated this thing in the subtitles we're we're using here, because the second episode, it, I don't. I don't encounter new words very often. I've seen a lot of words in my life. I'm the best at words, you might say. Uh, and the second episode, uh, there is a word. I'll just read the sentence. Their uh, pre-regrenation for uh, Shikizaki Kiki's Mastercraft Klesha uh, uh, Bringers has begun. And op- I have never seen the word pre-regrenation before in my life uh, uh i think so i actually I had to think... look it up and apparently if i remember correctly is referring to a, a a sort of journey that's like a meandering sort of journey. uh the word i think they they misspelled that word the word is peregrination 
Uh, peregrination. Yes, they did misspell it in the subtitles. Oh, wait, no, I just read it wrong. I'm an idiot. <laughs> they spell it correctly. I just I just read it wrong. No, 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 no. You are human. Uh, yeah. Yeah, turns out, turns out you're, you're not the best at words. No, well, you know. Hey, welcome to being uh, human. If, we were all if perfect, I say I'm the best at words, I, I still am. You can't call me on it. It's fake news. <laughs> Um, Excuse me. You're, now you're claiming to be perfect. Uh, but yeah, so pre peregrination, a journey, especially a long or meandering one, which uh, regard regardless of the spelling being used, um, is one I have not actually seen before. So, props the to the subtitlers for teaching yeah. me something new. Yeah, I also, uh, I actually, I actually, I actually had heard that word before. I'm, I'm sure I'm about to get a bunch of people on Twitter telling me, well, I've heard that word before. Yeah. Uh, to which I'll reply, F off. <laughs> right. But, but, all right, episode two also had that, had that, also had a funny bit of, meta, uh, actually was very, had a funny meta bit, which I really enjoyed, which was like, okay, because the, uh, the ninja, like, because, you know, because they're competing with this, uh, they're competing with this clan of ninjas for, uh, uh, it, you know, to get the swords. And the, the ninja gets to the sword first, but gets killed by, uh, but gets killed by the, uh, you know, but by the sword wielder. Yeah, which thank God he gets killed off fast because his gimmick is talking in reverse sentences, and that got tiring after a while. <laughs> Oh yeah, that that made the subtitles really hard to read. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. And, and and but the thing is, is that the what was great about it was that uh, like Togame actually called actually called him out on it. it was like, oh, he's dead. Oh, thank God, because uh, it would have like trying to uh, trying to report on his uh, reverse sentence gimmick would have been really annoying. Yeah, yeah, like. This is like, like I feel like Katana Gotri is Nisio Isin's kind of excuse to just be really playful about narratives. <laughs> yeah, uh, especially that. like with how he plays with the structure of um, some of the some of the episodes. I'm specifically thinking about like episode four, which is one of my favorites so far. I love yes. episode four. Uh, I, I thought it was. Oh, I thought it was here. I thought it was brilliant. I think episode three kind of, uh, at least structurally, it sort of uh, was kind of repeat of episode two. Episode three felt a lot more traditional and safe than the episodes that preceded it. That's for sure. Uh, um, yeah, it's like like I said, it it sort of had the same structure as episode two, although the. Uh, Although the uh, like the sword wielder uh, was more sympathetic. Yeah, I, I did like the sword wielder of episode three. I also did like what episode three did for sort of what it revealed about the relationship between Togame and Yasuri, especially like the idea that uh, Togame like in downtime is having Yasuri just like wrap her hair around him. And, like, having him, like, sniff and lick her because Yasuri is so disconnected from the world that everybody looks the same to him. 
So, like, he has to, like, get acquainted with what she looks, feels, and smells like so that he doesn't accidentally confuse her with an assassin or something. Um, Yeah, the the pirate-turned-priestess was, uh, that was interesting. Yeah. And then the, let's try to kidnap little sister, or no, big sister in this case, she is big sister. Oh, yeah. Yeah, episode four had, had, like, a really plays with your expectations in many ways. Episode episode four was so good, because, like, episode one kind of foreshadows what's gonna happen in episode four, but you're, you don't really get the extent of it until you actually reach episode four. Because, like, episode one, you like, Yasuri has the sister character, and even though she's the eldest, she kind of takes on this stereotypical, like, younger sister Moe kind of personality. But even in episode one, you get the sense that there is a lot more going on, and she's way more competent than she initially puts out, puts on. Well, the thing is, is she cannot be taught because all she has to do is look at something twice and she's already learned it. Yeah, and then episode yeah. four reveals just, like, to the extent of how terrifying Nanami actually is. Yeah. Uh, where she single-handedly kills three, three ninja in quick succession. Using and, like, without th- even really breaking a sweat. And using their own techniques against them. Yeah, yeah. like... And, and the thing is, is that's most of the episode because because the the way it, also the way it plays with your expectations is like like early in the episode they have uh, Shichika and Togame are going you know are like preparing for this fight preparing for this fight you know against like the uh, the fourth sword wielder who's like swordsman. who's supposedly like who's supposedly the like the greatest swordsman in the country and so like. You know, so so they're building like they so like they spend like all their screen time. They're building up to this big fight that's going to happen, and the whole fight happens off screen <laughs> because yeah, that, because most of the episode deals with Nanami uh, beating down those three ninjas. <laughs> yeah, and instead, like they just have a scene where Yasuri and uh, Togame are talking about the fight they just had, and it's like, oh, isn't it wild when he used this technique? And Yashi's like, yeah, I had to counter with this technique. <laughs> it's really going, funny. Everybody's going, wait a minute, what, you, you mean we missed out on all the good stuff? Yeah, you did. Right. Yeah. Like I said, it was, it was really, it, it was really great the way it played with your expectations. Yeah. Like, I... Uh, even though I think the third episode is kind of the weakest so far, uh, I did appreciate what it kind of tried to do with um, being a little more serious, sort of. It, 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 of the episode, it felt the most Bakemonogatari because it tried to do a deeper character dive into, like, the characters they meet, um, particularly with the uh, sword wielder um, and how... Like, Saruga, like, wanted to use the blades to uh, heal the women that she took in. And, like, she herself, but she herself, like, she she had this conflict where she's like, you know, I'm trying to use these blades to help these women and these help, and they're, and it's his helping these, and she's like, it is helping these women, but it hasn't helped me, and I don't understand why it hasn't fixed me yet. Um, 
and like yeah. the idea that she like this lady is uh, like and the tragedy that she's convinced that it's the blade that's helping these women when really it's her um the blade isn't doing anything and that's why the blade hasn't helped her because it, it's the blade isn't the thing that saved the women that she's taken in it's the wielder herself she doesn't need the blade to make a difference but yeah. she dies over it anyway yeah well right but well that goes back to this theme that uh, <clears throat> actually a, 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 a sort of the through line of this whole thing is that yeah which is constantly referred to by uh, togame and, and the sword builders is like the blade's poison which is that everyone who uh, like you know everyone who wields these 12 swords is sort of driven crazy by them yeah, by their yeah. by their attachment to these swords yeah, and, and I'm I'm curious to see if that's going to tie into a greater message about sort of the like the cultural place that weapons have in sort of our wider cultural consciousness or I'm really curious to see if this show has something to say just like a larger a larger message to say about weapons and how we view them uh, and their place in society. Like I, I have my theories, but I don't feel like we've really watched enough episodes for me to make a definitive statement of like, yeah, it's definitely saying this. But the third episode definitely kind of gives me that impression that it, they're going for something more than just like, oh, it's mystical poison. That the poison is meant to represent something. Okay, I'm with you on that one. Um. Well, I, I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure it's about weapons, but I think it's about sort of our attachment to things. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> could be. And yeah, and how an, an excessive attachment to, you know, an excessive excessive attachment to like objects, you know, rather than people uh is basically corrupts is sort of corrupting. Yeah. Yes, I, I'm curious to see if that that ends up holding true for the whole series. Um, but it like it definitely feels like it's going for some for a bigger message, uh, <clears throat> at least from what I can tell. The the yeah. the underlying tone is now is there going to be uh, some sort of uh, friction? I don't want to say romantic friction, but some sort of friction between uh, Yasuri and uh, Togame. Well. Well, that's actually one one thing I really like about this is the uh, <clears throat> the romantic chemistry between uh, Shichika and Togame. I is really appealing. Yeah, it's it's really casual. Like they're they're pretty comfortable around each other, and like they don't always get along perfectly um, because their personalities are pretty different. But you know they. They trust each other, they feel comfortable, like, you know, being close and intimate with each other, and it's not really a melodramatic type of romance, it's, uh, which, like, even, um, you know, I, I really like, uh, the relationship that, um, uh, Sandra Gahara has with, uh, Aragi. 
um, in Bakemonogatari. But even that, like, <laughs> definitely has melodramatic elements at times. Whereas in Katanagatari, it's just not treated as a big deal at all. <laughs> and then they don't really treat it as a big deal at all. Like, occasionally Togame blushes, but, like, they yeah. don't really have... Well, like they 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 don't have like their walls set up basically yeah it, it it avoids it avoids a lot of like the uh kind of like bullshit romance tropes that you see in a lot of anime yeah. uh yeah like even the one time that like uh like Yasuri falls down on Togeme while she's naked the joke isn't oh no you've you like you see my nakedness now, and it looks like we're like in a position where we're about to have sex. the The joke is he got he's now tangled up in her hair, and he can't get out. Yep. She, <laughs> like she, she, her, her her womanly wilds have entangled him. Oh no, it's just his hair. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh. Good stuff overall. I'm really enjoying. I, you know, I'm really enjoying it on a second watch. Well, uh, yeah, and I, 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 what I need to say is, right at the end of episode four, is Nanami standing there looking off the island, going, "Hmm, they're having fun. Maybe I should go join them." <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm really, really looking forward to watching more of this. I love this show so far. Um, and also I, like, hats off to White Fox, they made a beautiful looking series. Like, I love the art style in this. Well, seems that the series is eight years old, yes, I was really surprised at the work that was done in it. Uh, yeah, see, the other thing about White Fox is that, you know, when it comes to their, you know, when it comes to their work, is they, they don't half-ass these things. Yeah, what well, uh, I, I think the the thing that stood out to me though is that like a lot of times, a lot of the stuff that White Fox adapts or, or creates, um, like it, it'll it'll look good, but also like it'll look you know fairly typical. Um, for example, like Jormungand, um, or even like Steinsgate, like those have pretty traditional art styles. They're done well, but they're you know pretty traditional. Whereas Katanagatri is definitely going for a different look um yeah. it's it's a little more cartoony <clears throat> yeah like yeah it will it, well it's got like the character designs are kind of car- are kind of are cartoony uh but the backgrounds sort of are, are kind of have this like you know you know traditional like edo periods you know edo period retro style yeah it's it's a really interesting combination that makes it feel like a like you're watching a fairy tale <laughs> Uh, which is appropriate because, like, a lot of the times, like, a lot of it is structured like a fairy tale. Yeah, and yeah, and what's so another thing about the story structure is, uh, and and this goes into like uh, this actually goes into its initial broadcast history, which was that uh, like each each uh, like like. Each uh, episode takes place in a different month of the year, and that was how the episodes were broadcast originally. Oh, I actually yes. did not realize that. In their original broad in, in their original broadcast, like they 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 had like one hour long episode per month. Huh. And, uh, 
this this anime also is one of the first animes to uh, have uh, uh, seasonal information uh, leaked. Uh, somebody managed to uh, tangle into White Fox's servers and, and grab some episodes <laughs> and throw some stuff on oh, the web. It just, this oh, really? Yeah, this was a first. It uh, it, it it was. Uh, like yeah it's like i because when we said it i said wait a minute that name sounds familiar and then i did some research it's like oh yeah they're the ones that got their episodes thrown up online before they were even yeah whoops yeah uh, you know which goes yeah it goes back to like uh you know because like at the end of every episode it's like uh you know and like and, and so it's like this is it for like this month and this evening yep yeah because yep. That's, that's how it was originally broadcast once a month. Yeah, it's, there's the, uh, uh, currently there's, I think of it, uh, hang on a second. Um, dang, why, I, you know, I hate it when you, when you're thinking of something all of a sudden, yeah, the, uh, this, I can't. Dusty, I'm going to let you pronounce this because I'm in a good mood. Okay. Okay. What, okay. what am I pronouncing yeah. here? Uh, that is also monthly. Uh, oh, uh, Emiya-san, Shi no Kyo no Gohan. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, that's a, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's a, uh, it's a fate, that's a, uh, a fate spinoff yes. where, uh, Shiro cooks, Shiro, like each episode, Shiro cooks food for all the other fate characters. That is wild. Yeah. I've seen a couple episodes of it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty amusing. I don't and, think I'll ever truly understand the Fate franchise, no matter what I do. Uh, yeah, well, uh, and, that, and that's actually it's actually true to that. That, that was actually true to like like it, it was well established in the whole Fate franchise that Shiro is an amazing cook. <laughs> I did not mean us to get off on this conversation. You know but, that's yeah. on. You know that's on Crunchyroll under the translated name to "Today's Menu for the Emiya Family." Yes. The first episode is Toshikoshi Soba. Yep. Yeah. Each episode. Each episode focuses on Shiro cooking a different dish. And for, star. Uh, yep. Yes. For the various other fake characters. Starring. Uh, starring Artoria. So. Uh, it, it, the, the only reason I mention that is because it's getting ready for the 10th month to drop. And this is the 10th month almost. <laughs> yeah. The, uh... What a concept. Yes. Well, I, uh, every once in a while I do manage to come up with something interesting. It, it, uh -huh. And it, how it, does this Hamburg steak episode not include Al Alexander the Great? How does that not include Iskandar? Uh... Well... Yeah, because they don't they don't do fate, they don't do fate zero characters in this thing. That's unfortunate. So, anyway, let's go back and and rate the swordplay, and then uh, we can uh, we can carry on whatever direction we feel like carrying on. In. Yeah, so I will uh, give Katanagatri a five so far without reservation. Yep, I yes. very much enjoyed these episodes. I I am thoroughly entranced with these episodes. Because they're heading in a direction which it's a direction I like. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm wait, very much waiting for uh, Little Sisters. Uh, in fact, I think uh, this is kind of going to be like Bebop. Oh, Ed shows up. Yeah. Oh, hey, Sis shows up. Great. 
you'll uh I mean I've seen the I've seen all I've seen all these things before, so I won't spoil them for you. Thank you very uh, much. <laughs> Sir. But yeah, there's some uh, some interesting stuff coming up ahead. Uh, your score, sir? Yeah, I'm giving it a five. Okay. I just wanted to make sure you didn't get left in the uh, dust. Um, All okay. right, so what? that'll be it for this episode of VodkaCast, I believe. Um, so next time we'll be talking about um, the... Uh, Next, oh god. Uh, well, I know we'll be talking about the next four episodes of Katana Gatari. And so the next episodes, eight episodes of uh, Bebop. S- five through eight. Um, and then for Cowboy Bebop. The next nine episodes. Yeah, yeah let's do nine. Oh, All right. I had it I had scheduled for eight. Um, uh, yeah, because it's weird because like, the Cowboy Bebop doesn't really divide well into three because it's like because it's 26 episodes so nine uh, through, so. so nine through 17 instead of nine through 16 yeah one two three four five six seven eight nine yeah we'll do uh we'll do nine episodes next week so we'll do uh 10 through nine nine through 17 so oh yeah doing. sorry nine through 17 so that way uh the final segment will be 18 through 26, so it'll basically go like 8, 9, 9. So yeah. So it'll be mostly even the whole way through. That sounds very German. 9, 9. 9! Alright. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I'm not sure if we'll do anything else. Uh, I'll have to see if there's like a movie that we missed or uh, that we would find interesting that we can also watch. Uh, if not, we'll just, you know, do... Just do Katanagatri and Bebop. Um, also, uh, I am currently uh, trying to schedule stuff with Luke to see if uh, we can get together, me, Ben, and Luke, to talk about the next season of JoJo's Vento Oreo. Because uh, I greatly enjoy doing those JoJo's Bizarre Rewatch episodes, and I'd like to do something similar for uh, this current season of JoJo's. How far did you get in uh, JoJo's Bizarre Rewatch, anyway? Uh, we didn't quite finish. Uh, we didn't quite finish uh, uh, Battle Tendency. That's a shame. He probably should have kept at it. Yeah, look, I got. Yeah, I know. That was sort of like during the hiatus, um, and then we got back, and then we got busy, and then schedules fell apart, kind of. Yeah. So yeah, I get that. I get that. I'm just saying it. it I'm just saying it's a shame that uh, schedules that, fell uh, apart. More like things broke down. Arrived. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I'd at the very least like to uh, bring it back for the next season of JoJo's, especially now that we're on like a every two or every three week schedule for the main episodes of BakaCast. It wouldn't. It won't be too di- do, too difficult to do like one or two episodes of JoJo's every couple weeks. Okay. Right. Eh, you can even get uh, even like uh, actually for those things you can even start uh, and try and get the uh, do the retro retro review some of the previous uh, previous seasons. Yeah, maybe um, that that's something I uh, will see, uh, consider, but we'll definitely be doing Vento Oreo. Um, definitely gonna try and make that happen. Yeah, so Oreo I've already like contacted it. Luke, and we're just trying to get our because the tricky thing is is that Luke works 
evening shifts, like late evening shifts, uh, or as I work, morning shifts. So oh. it's uh, mostly about finding where our free time overlaps. You're a morning person now, and he's not. Mm-hmm. Yes. No. Uh, so yeah, we're we're getting that figured out. But uh, yeah, it seems like there's enough overlap that it should be too too difficult to meet regularly enough yeah. to do so. Well, I'm a useless slacker with uh, more free time than uh, is good for me. So, all right. So it shouldn't be hard to get you on board. <laughs> right. Good to know. Uh, all right. Yeah. Anyway, that's I think enough. Uh, Chitty chat. You know, yeah, talk about how the sausage gets made, um, how the how the pocky gets dipped. Uh, um, well, I was more worried about the uh, anime, but we're, we'll we'll food later. <laughs> Dinner sounds like a anyway. Idea. Yeah, so I'm I'm tired, and uh, yeah, we've talked enough, I think. So uh, thank y'all for joining us. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Stills the GM. And you can follow me at DeathSlinky. And you can leave comments or questions on our uh, blog at either projectharhi.net or um, audioentropy.com or you can send us an email at bakacast at projectharhi.net. Or you can find me somewhere. If if you know where to look, good luck. Well, um, well these things I might <laughs> tell people. And then, again, I kind of like being mysterious. Uh, Ben. Dustin. Three, two, one. Kiribosh. Kiribosh. Ta-ta, y'all. Anime's still better than watching terrestrial TV. American Vandal is really good, though. You should definitely check that out. (laughs) Recording stopped.